0: Let's have a good show. Pierre's in a good mood. Cowboys won. He was there. It's my birthday today. It's your birthday, Johnny? Yeah. Happy birthday, All buddy. All
1: right. Mm-hmm. Whoa. 49.
0: 49. 49. We oh, got to make I a big deal out brain. of this. Hello, folks, and welcome to Got Your Back, NHL Birthday Edition. Yes, MJ, 49 years of age, and joining us here on the pod to be celebrated in all... Glory. Uh, (laughs) Pierre Lebrun also along for the ride. Uh, Lots of great stuff on the way for you. How about Connor Bedard landing on TSN's top 50? Would he be on yours? We'll beat that around a little bit. Talk about the Zegres deal and a bunch of other topics du jour here on the podcast. Got you back. NHL edition brought to you by our proud title sponsors, Kuma Outdoor Gear, where they have a wide range of gear to fit all your outdoor needs from tents and sleeping bags, travel games, Pet products and drinkware. And boy, do they love their new switchback heated chair. So am I. I have three of them. The world's first heated chair powered by Bluetooth technology. Go to KumaOutdoorgear.com to find a retailer near you and check out all they have to offer. Kuma Outdoor Gear. Experience luxury outdoors there's the birthday boy mj how you doing pal do you do you like when a big deal is made for you on your birthday do you like to feel celebrated
1: no so i appreciate the wishes and <laughs> listen obviously it's not a big day if i'm waking up and spending it with you two guys It clearly don't have a <laughs> lot going on on my special day no it's uh uh I, already, I had to go to my kid's school for like a parent meeting this morning so it's been a full kind of work day anyways that uh but it's, it always used to be my birthday was the first day of the regular season. The first day used to always be October 2nd or 3rd or 4th. So I always play my first game on my birthday, which kind of was a, a highlight day to start the year and have my birthday. But now it's just just another day, Choggy, just another day.
2: Well, another it's day. A, maybe this year is, MJ, but let's be real. Next year is the big 5-0 for you. Oh, so that's, oh, that's going to be... I suspect you'll be joining us from Tuscany, Italy next year. Uh, in fact, there not may joining be us, but you'll be in something. <laughs> yes,
1: it's funny. And like I don't, I never cared about turning thirty or forty. Somewhere in my recess of my mind, I'm like, I don't know, fifty might hit a little bit different. But well, that's for another year. I'm just, I'm, I'm in my forties and hanging tough. That's what I You're look at.
0: You're living young. Johnny, you're That's living it. young. I mean, That's you're still it. playing tennis. You're golfing like a madman. You're taking care of yourself. You're only as old as your body makes you look. And you, my friend, are not 49.
1: <laughs> I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. No, it's a good day. Thank you.
1: Appreciate
0: that. P, you're in a good mood. Quickly, I'm going to limit this to 30 seconds or it'll be endless. You were on the road <laughs> watching your team. How amazing was it? Cowboys get a win.
2: So all I can tell you, and I know the Cowboys are going to break my heart at the end of the year, but that's okay. That's part of the 20 box. seconds. My last two Cowboy games in person were the Cowboys going to Tampa and retiring Tom Brady in the playoffs last year. And mm-hmm. then this seconds. past week, watching the greatest coach in NFL history, Bell Belichick, in a bad mood for three hours. That's the last two Cowboys games I've been to. <laughs> pretty pretty so good. they're going to get you on the payroll. Well, wow, I – I mean, I don't know why Jerry doesn't have me on the retainer. I'm three and zero oh, in my last three appearances. I think so. In the Cowboys getting, game, come on, beautiful. I'll get you there for the playoffs,
0: beautiful, beautiful. Uh, okay, gentlemen, let's get to our breakdown because there's lots going on right now. And though it is preseason, how much do you read into what you're seeing in preseason? I don't know, but there's some good storylines that are happening around the league. But the first place I want to start, Johnny, is in Chicago, where Connor Bedard uh, hasn't scored a goal yet, but. He's made some made some nice plays and made a few highlight reels. But notably for Bedard, gentlemen, he lands on TSN's annual top 50 players. Lands at number 48. Hasn't played a game yet. Does he belong there? Full disclosure, I vote on that. He was not on my top 50. I don't know if you gentlemen want to reveal or not. Johnny, what do you think? Should he be there?
1: I got nothing to hide. He wasn't on my list either, Shoggy. Now... Truth be told, I put my list in before he played an exhibition game. Right. And you know how little I care about exhibition games. Like, when I played, I didn't care about them. And now that I'm working, I don't care about them. I know they're important for different reasons, but they're not that telling of anything. I was searching out his first game. I think it was St. Louis, or he played against his first game. And I wanted to watch it. I'm like, okay, let's see what he can do. And I watched that game, and you're right, he didn't score. I think he picked up a couple assists, including one in overtime. And I'm like... I might have to rethink this top 50 thing because he looked like he was finding open ice so easily. The idea, like we know what he can do well. We know he can do great. He can shoot, he can handle a puck, kind of create. But what you didn't know was, can he find space in the NHL? Is he fast enough? Is he strong enough? And I know it's exhibition, but through two exhibition games, the answer is yeah. And yeah, he is absolutely fast enough and strong enough. And he's going to be really, really good. So he should be right around the top 50. Think about it. 32 teams really? in the league. Is he the best player on a team across the league? That'd be top 32. Is he the best top two players on a team across the league? Probably not. But I don't know. Like, like he's, He looks like he might be able to. As, little, as much as I don't care about preseason Pierre,
2: I'm impressed by his. You couldn't care less about preseason compared to me. But anyway, um, <laughs> I, I guess the one thing we should st- stipulate uh, from Steve Dryden organizing this top 50 list uh, over the years is that the list is meant to be how do you view the top 50 at the end of this season? So everyone's supposed to put their crystal ball on. So I think that's pretty relevant information in this case.
0: Like who will so, be the top 50 like at the end of next season, you're saying? Yeah, you're forecasting the top 50. The you're not
2: saying this is the top 50 right now, and I think – That's important to point out in this particular case because those who did have Connor Bedard on on their top 50 are saying he's going to play his way into that. And, of course, you could see that. Why couldn't you?
0: I guess. I mean, you know, there's debate. Think about it.
1: Best player on every team. Can I run down, like, I can go to Toronto where there's, like, three players better than him. Right. I can go to Colorado where there's probably four players better than him. You know what I mean? Like, like, top 50 is hard. It's hard to get to. Well, it uh, so, is. Like,
0: Ryan yeah. Nugent Hopkins at, at 104 points last year comes in in the early 40s. And there's, you know, people will debate whether he should be there or not, which, by the way, yes. I think is nuts. But, I mean, you got a 100-point player at number 42. Six six spots ahead of yeah. Connor Bedard, who hasn't played a game yet.
1: Yeah. What was Willie Nylander? I mean, Willie Nylander had 40 goals and 87 points. Like, what uh, would he think?
0: Yeah, so uh, I believe I believe 40s, he's probably. in the next 30s? batch. So they didn't yeah. release the entire list. They just released uh, 40 to 50, and then 30 to 40, I think, gets released today. And I believe uh, Nylander is in that group. Yeah. But anyways, so. interesting. And, and, you know, maybe the lesson from McDavid, right? Because I don't believe McDavid was on it heading into his first season in the National Hockey League. And now you have Bedard, 144 goals in 141 games. Um yeah, I mean, uh, one of the one of the greatest junior seasons we've ever seen. So, you know, may, maybe some learn felt they learned the lesson from Connor McDavid. It'll be interesting to see what uh, what he is able to do. Uh, Trevor Zegras deal gets done. We discussed it last week on the podcast, Pierre, about how uh, it was. It took some time here. He didn't come to camp. He ended up sitting out. Uh, there was a grind here, but finally, it gets done. Five point mm. seven five million times three years. Uh, Johnny, maybe first to you on what you think of that number. And were you surprised where the number landed, given how long it took?
1: No, not surprised by the number. I was surprised when reports were out that the number was around four. And I said it on your show. I'm like, if it's a three-year term, there's no way this could be in the fours. It has to be in the fives. Mm -hmm. Five, five and a half was the place it had to go to. Um, but I think the fact like, the number is, is so appropriate, it's almost not even part of the conversation. A bridge deal for him is worth that much. That's fair for him. It's fair for the team. There's nothing really to parse there. The bigger story to me is, what does the entire negotiation say about how Anaheim feels about Trevor Zegers, how Trevor Zegers will feel about Anaheim going forward, and the three-year bridge is so dangerous because that's one more year to UFA. So, yeah. you know, the, that, that's the Matthew Kachuk playbook, right? Where you, you can, you're you going to be... So that's, that's what, to me, Pierre, is more interesting. And I think it is an accurate representation of Anaheim's reluctance to fully commit to Trevor Zegers as their best player, their unquestioned top-flight guy for eight years. I think they want to see more. They know what he does great, but they want... Some substance or more substance to go with the incredible amount of style that he's got on the ice. Mm -hmm. But to me, that's the interesting conversation, not the tall, not the contract, but what this means for both parties feeling about each other going forward.
2: Yeah. And MJ, listen, I mean, the interesting thing about this negotiation, and Pat Verbeek confirmed this publicly yesterday, which which we believe to be the case all along, both sides that were actually in agreement at three years for a month. (laughs) This was just about the AEV, which is. Kind of stunning to me, uh, but also I know that the Ducks started way lower than that number. And Pat Brisson, Mm. the agent, he's been around. uh, He had to bring that number up uh, over the course of several weeks. And a couple days after we taped our podcast last week, there was a pretty long meeting in Anaheim between Pat Verbeek and Pat Brisson, a really long meeting, where Pat Brisson had a full CEA presentation and they really hammered home the need for the Ducks to come up on the AV and, and it finally happened. It was a, it was a heck of a grind. You know, I mentioned this last week and you just touched on it. MJ File that away. As far as how Trevor egress feels in three years about what he just went through with this negotiation could be nothing could be that these guys realize it's all a business, but I still filed that away. Um, but the Ducks are also playing hardball with Jamie Drysdale. So it's not just about Zegers, MJ, I guess would be the one mm-hmm. counterpoint I would make to you is that, You know, Pat Verbeek spent many years in the Tampa front office. You may remember that the Lightning also had a bridge deal, I think, with Kucherov, for example. Um, And so, you know, um, and and Tampa's always tried to be very vigilant with, with their cap allocation. So who knows how much of that is playing into what Pat Verbeek's trying to do here in Anaheim. I'm also curious, and you're right. I mean, but Jamin Drysdale played what six
1: games last year. I mean, Trevor Ziegros is on the cover of the NHL video yep. game. But what Franchise I what player. is fascinating is how do you quantify curating the fact that Trevor Ziegros is incredibly popular, the fact that he's on the mm-hmm. video game, the fact that he's in the highlights. What's that worth? And I'm sure Trevor's like, well, that's worth something for marketing, for sales, for our mm-hmm. for our exposure in the market we're in. And I'm sure Doesn't buy like, you any
0: more cap space.
1: Right. And it's not helping me. Like, a goal that you flip in Michigan style is the same as a goal I bang in on a rebound. So I don't care how you do it. I don't care. Right. Like, that push and pull, I think, is, like, part of the underlying tone of the conversation they're having back
2: and forth.
0: And, Pierre, there yeah. was no appetite from either side to do a longer-term deal? Is that just because oh. of question of where the cap is going? I mean, the reason no, I yeah, ask yeah. is because... I think good. Yeah. The reason I ask, Pierre, is because, you know, like, the Oilers you know, did eight years with Leon Drysidel at a time where some people went, Oh, that feel you. You don't, Yeah. you got to place bets in order to get great yeah. bargains. And clearly they chose not to place a bet here. Yeah,
2: no, I think Pat Brisson would have been open to that conversation. And, but I think it was determined early on that they were never going to get to a number that could work on eight years. In fact, Brisson has done a number of eight-year extensions for guys coming mm-hmm. out of entry level, right? So um, no, he, he would have been open to that. Uh, I think CAA, among all the firms, has been one of the firms saying, hey, you know, eight years, money in your pockets, money in your pocket, let's gamble that way. But in this case, it was never going to be realistic. Uh, and you're right. Now now the thing is, the the upside for for Zegras, outside of the fact, I think he got a fair bridge deal here, is that if the cap is going to go up, like everyone is saying, and, and I want to be on record that I'm, I'm in that little minority that's a bit dubious about, where the world is in general here economically not just hockey eyes I mean the world and so we'll see where the cap goes in the next few years I think it's I think the cap's going to go up next year and then after that let's see where the world is if if you follow my drift that but anyway, you, well, really I'm, like, just,
0: dun, 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 dun. I'm
2: just reading headlines boys and reading what people are <laughs> yeah. saying but uh you know if the cap does go up though uh you know in consecutive years uh the numbers that everyone is projecting, are projecting, then, then Zegers' leverage, if he continues to blossom in a franchise, players, I mean, he's, that's going to be a big deal next time around.
0: No Quite gosh. the downer on your birthday there, Johnny. My goodness. Hey, well, let's just I hope better, you make it to, let's hope we all make it to your 50th. <laughs> I better I
1: have a good day today. It might be the last birthday ever celebrated. Thanks, Pierre. <laughs> Appreciate uh, it. Okay. Yes.
0: Moving on to, t- moving on to Tampa Bay, Andre Vasilevsky, that is a gut punch for a team that, boy, They rely on him big time. Johnny, six straight years in the playoffs. We don't know exactly what the move is going to be to replace Vasilevsky, but, I mean, where Tampa is concerned, are we? you look at that division, are we kind of getting into territory where that year of, you know, six years of consecutive playoffs maybe comes into jeopardy here a little bit?
1: They'd have to go real bad in net for that to happen. I mean, Tampa's Mm -hmm. still a strong team. I know they've robbed their depth. I get that, but their high-end guys are still there presumably fresher than they've been in a while other than Vasilevsky because they just had five months off for the first time in five years. So I think like that all should, like they should make the playoffs Mm -hmm. provided they get even around average goaltending. They don't even need above average goaltending. Now the problem is, so Jonas Johansson has had some tough moments in the NHL. And I know he played three games in Colorado last year and they were good, but it's three games. Like generally speaking, he's not been good in the NHL. Their other backup, I think it's Matt Tompkins, who I saw play in the Olympics and maybe at the World Championships, prominent European goaltender. Who knows? Maybe he's the next Tim Thomas. Doubtful. But, like, you're going with some real, real wild cards in a position that they've always been able to say, our guy's better than yours. And that guy has been doing it consistently, 60-plus starts a year. It's a significant, significant injury. Not so much that it's going to cause them to lose and miss the playoffs, but just they're going to be in the pack now and kind of grinding more than they otherwise would. But I just think in Pierre, like the waiver wire has to be attractive to them, whether it's Alex Lyon in in, in Detroit mm-hmm. or Martin Jones in Toronto, just a salary they can then sink and not cost them anything whenever Vasilevsky gets healthy, but someone who's just got a little experience. And there are third goalies who make 900 grand Floating around that I would trust more than Matt Tompkins or Jonas Johansson going forward. So not the end yeah. of the world, but if it lingers, trouble. If it if it if it's six weeks or eight weeks, and he come back and he's something like he was before, which we expect him to be, they should be okay.
2: Yeah, and obviously the salary cap such a huge consideration as always for Tampa. And 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 the thing is, like you know, again Vasilevsky. You can't use his money. He's going to be back. So so they're so tight against it. And and what Julian Bruisbois plans here is that he wants to make sure that when Vasilevsky comes back that they're in the healthiest possible cap situation where it allows them to be at their deepest possible. So translation, obviously, is that they don't want to spend too much money before the season even starts because then you can't recoup that under the cap. So So they're in a delicate position, but there are cheap options like you just mentioned. You know, the dilemma for me, I wonder for them, is this. They probably, I bet you in the perfect world, they'd like to see how the year started with what they have and then react.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But then you may not yes, be able to click. get. Right. right, then the waivers' opportunities are kind of done and, and you don't get a shot at a Martin Jones or whoever else. And now, Yaroslav Halak is still sitting there. Halak's working out in Boston every day. I have absolutely... Full confidence that Alan Walsh phoned Julian Bruswell within 30 seconds of that last <laughs> Um, So there are other options, but yeah, it, I think the delicate balance is 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 do we act and when do we act, and those things may not line up perfectly for what Tampa would want.
0: Sticking with the goaltenders, I'm going to read some statistics here for you. Jack Campbell, two games played, mm-hmm. two goals against on 68 shots, 971 save percentage. That's good. Stuart Skinner. Two games played, six goals against on 50 shots, 880 save percentage. Now, we all admit preseason doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter for goalies, gentlemen. Like, is Jack Campbell making a case here for the net opening night?
1: Sure. I'm not a goalie, so I don't know how good they need to feel. Like, as a player, I didn't, I mean, I wanted to play well it'd be nice to score a goal in an exhibition game. But other than that, like it didn't really matter. Right. Like once you're in the NHL, but I don't, what is interesting about Edmonton and that dynamic is that Jack Campbell was brought in to be the starter. It's not like he's usurping the guy who like, it's a big, it's a big shocker that Jack Campbell makes the money. Jack Campbell's got the term. He's usurping
0: the usurper.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And if it was, and if it could happen last year to Campbell, it could sure as heck happen this year to Skinner. As much as we like Stuart Skinner and the great year he had last year, Edmonton's in a spot where they got two goalies who both can be pretty good. Two goalies who maybe you don't know exactly year over year how good they will be. So you're going to go with whoever's better. And if Jack Campbell was his off year last year, adjusting to a new city, new pressure contract, whatever, and this is the Toronto Maple Leaf version when he had a good year, Then he's the starter, and he's the starter day one. I don't think there'll be any... Half the time, the goalie who starts the first game is as much about resume as it is about who's playing better at that moment. right? It's whoever's supposed to start game one. And in Edmonton, Pierre, I don't know if the others would have to look at Stuart Skinner and say, you clearly have to be the guy. It's a big deal if you're not. They just go with whoever's playing better. So in this case, we hate preseason. It does not matter. It may matter enough here to get get Jack Campbell game one.
2: Yeah, and that's why it would be important for Woodcroft to set the stage in the market by saying, "Listen, you know, set the expectation that that you know it could be either guy that they're going to ride the odd hand." That's to me, you want to get ahead of the narrative in a a passionate hockey market like Edmonton, and make sure this doesn't get a life of its own as far as being controversial. Um, I mean, that would be an unbelievable story for the Oilers if Jack Campbell can bounce back and not be a one, but just be a guy between 1A and 1B where where you're alleviating the kind of burden that I think Skinner ended up with last year. We all know about the sports science, the starts for goalies. I mean, the perfect situation is that you have two guys that can carry the ball here. Mm -hmm. And and listen, I've heard from some Moeller fans, uh, you know, we don't have a true, true elite guy. Darcy Kemper and Aiden Hill just won the last two Cups. Mm -hmm. So we have to stop this idea that you need Andre Vasilevsky to win a Cup as amazing as he is, it's just not true in the, in the modern game anymore. You can just have a guy as long as the rest, rest of the parts of your team are working efficiently. But if the, if the Oilers can get a split or a 60-40 situation going here, that's going to be gigantic for them. One that they trust.
0: Absolutely. And the reality is
1: any goalie in the top 30-40 guys in the league is capable of winning a Stanley Cup. They're capable of eight weeks of great play or good enough. play, And and I think teams are wrapping their head around that. It's great if you have Sorokin or Shostyorkin or Vasilevsky or Soros. But if you don't, it is not debilitating. It doesn't ruin your chances. Absolutely, Pierre. And I think we're slowly in hockey. We do everything slowly in hockey. We're slowly wrapping our heads around that reality.
0: Yeah, and let's keep in mind, like Skinner had a real good regular season, went to the All-Star game. Right? We all saw it was a Calder candidate. But in the playoffs, his play definitely was not the same. And Jack Campbell, in relief, was pretty darn good. Now, Jay Woodcroft didn't have the confidence to go with Jack Campbell, make that switch in the playoffs, but his numbers were good in the playoffs. So two exhibition games left, and then we'll see who gets the night, the net on opening night. But Jack Campbell has made it a conversation which I think the Oilers are absolutely loving. Who's the best defensive forward of all time? Jim Montgomery says of Patrice Bergeron, Mike Johnson. We lost the best defensive player of all time. <laughs> so, guys, we got Bob Gainey and we got Bergeron. Who did you say, Johnny?
2: I, I said me. Mike Johnson.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? That's the- yeah, that's listen, quite the birthday gift you just bestowed listen, upon him, a you, steaming pile you, of BS.
1: <laughs> you ask my coaches, they'll tell you I was a good defensive player. Not sure, the best you, of all time, but I was a good defensive player.
0: You're okay, a well player. then, then player, you're qualified to go first.
1: Player. Yeah, you, you so, get to go so first this on this answer. Though, because it, although it's my birthday, and thank you both for telling everyone how old I am, I don't remember Uh-oh. Bob Gainey playing, right? Like I don't know what that looked like. I know reputationally, Bob Gainey was my GM when I played in Montreal. But I don't remember what he played like. I will say this. I mean, the results speak for themselves. Bob Ganey did a lot of winning in a lot of ways. He was unique in the sense that he played in an era where he was kind of big and physical and sort of embraced that role when there didn't really... I don't think there was quite as common an idea like you're a checking centerman sort of thing. He sort of defined that. But the way I look at Patrice Bergeron and look at the way he evolved in the modern game where it was the best defensive guy, but also a really important offensive guy, like a play driving winger, supporting every situation sort of guy. So I'm, I'm prejudiced because it's what I know. And I can't imagine anyone being better than Patrice
2: Bergeron has been in the last 10 years. Yeah. And I think the vast majority of us always take a center over a winger in all kinds of different debates. We used mm-hmm. to have those debates about Crosby and Ovechkin for different reasons, but you know, I think we also have a lot of younger listeners and younger fans who clearly, you know, didn't watch Bob Ganey play. I was young. I mean, I was five, six, seven years old when Bob Ganey's A-Day. I do remember watching him play. But I always go back to the quote from uh, Victor Tikhonov, who in 1979, and again, translated at the time, but was famously quoted as saying he thought Bob Ganey was the best player in the world based on his technical skills. And it's a quote hmm. that that made the rounds for many years um, from Tikhanov. And it was probably based on, again, the the other side of the puck, not seeing a player that level focused so much on that side of the puck. And um, and, and listen, I mean, I don't even know if this is true, but I mean, you guys have probably heard this. I mean, was it not the Selkie Trophy came about because they had to find something for Bob Gainey to, to sort of reward that part? I mean, he won the first batch of them, right? And um, but again, patrick Bergeron in the modern game, 200 feet, impossible to win a face off against him. So much ahead of the play, uh, everything like Patris Bergeron was as close to a perfect 200 foot player as we've seen in, in the modern game. So I don't like these all time debates because the eras are different and it's hard to, to judge those things. But how can you go against patrick Bergeron?
0: Selkie introduced in 77 because of his excellence. These are notes from the quiz master earned honor. The first four years it was awarded Won there five Stanley cups Bergeron earned the Selkie six times. How about being a finalist? 12 straight years. That's, well, that's unbelievable. Crazy.
1: That's crazy. That's crazy. That and is the crazy part is we have different ways to measure defensive impacts now. And I'm sure if we had those ways back in Bob Ganey's era, his would have been through the roof. But like yeah. last year, the year Patrice Bergeron retired off of, he had like the best defensive metrics of his entire career. Was his last year? Like that's mm-hmm. how great he still Unreal. was and is. Like, yeah, I, I don't know, and I'm not gonna. I don't know. Again, errors are hard. It feels like playing defense now is tricky. <laughs> like everyone's, everyone's a great skater. Everyone right. can shoot. Like they're like I'm. I'm not. I don't know if there was as many good players in a roster, offensive good players in a roster, in 1979 as there are in
2: 2022. It, it right? also... Like,
1: like more threats now.
2: Yeah, and I think it it, it probably, again, I was so young when the Habs were winning all those Cups in the 70s, but if you look back at that team that won four in a row in the 70s, we think of them as Guy Lafleur... You know, Ken Dry in the net. But but really, we think about how they were an offensive team just like the Oilers a de- decade after them, right? But if you think now about well, Bob Gainey and his Selkie trophies, Jacques Lemaire, another defensive genius playing on that team. The big three on the blue line with Robbins and Savard and LaPointe. I mean, they, they kind of had both, both sides of the puck cover yeah. there, maybe in an era where that wasn't appreciated as much.
0: It's a great debate. Uh, is, what's man. your answer Shaggy? Yeah, yeah, I, I, defense, I think uh, winning it's winning it six times and being a finalist 12 straight years and sure. just you know being distinguishable among his peers that often to me is pretty that's pretty unbelievable. I'm with you, Johnny. I mean in the Gainey era I was very young. I actually played with his son Steve, uh, who's a good so, buddy of mine. So um, did I.
1: None. I played with him in Arizona.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. We were we yeah. were rookies together in Kamloops. Um, he, yeah, he great, great family. Blew
1: his ACL out on the crazy Ovechkin goal in Arizona. Yeah, Gaines was like the backchecker that kind of like stumbled over Boosh when Ovi yeah. rolled over himself and put it in. He'd forever uh-huh. on the highlight reels. He didn't play many games, but that was one of them.
0: He was made of different stuff, man. Even at 16 years old, as a rookie, he'd moved away from home across the country over to Kamloops and. Man, that kid was tough as nails. He wasn't afraid of anything, and tough as nails, Gaines was a—he was an absolute beauty. But uh, good debate, guys. That'll wrap it up. Johnny, what's the uh, what's the rest of your uh, birthday look like, bud? What, what else you got?
1: Um, I don't know. I gotta, I gotta. I'm going shopping this afternoon.
0: Oh, well, you little. I, I, little I got, will I'm, you like, treat yourself? Like what are you gonna? I what got, do you, what I got a Johnny spa day. This,
1: I got a spa day. So oh. I gotta, I gotta massage and stuff. You know, take care of myself a little bit. And
0: you getting the feet um, done?
1: I think it's just a full regular massage, not a. Not okay, a yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Although I'm not a, like I'm not ashamed to say I get pedicures. They're 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 lovely. I don't like manicures, but I like pedicures.
0: Have you ever done one, Pierre? No, no. no? <laughs> <laughs> you, you need to. I'm telling you, buds, you got to book an extra half day on your next trip to yes. Dallas and book some spa time because you think you enjoy watching the Cowboys. Watching the Cowboys with a fresh pedicure in those shoes next level yeah. for you. Yeah.
2: Well, I, w- I watched the Cowboys with a foot long frozen margarita in a Dallas Cowboys jar, so that was pretty good. <laughs> uh,
0: that's also awesome. Also good. All right, good stuff. Johnny, we got Daniel Brier coming up. I know you know him. Anything you want us yes. to uh, to fire at him? Well,
1: I mean, the first off, if you're going Where did he learn all the things he's using to become a GM? If you had to pick one roommate he learned the most from that prepped him to now run a team. I wonder kid. who that might be. Also, um, you know, it's funny. A quick little story about Danny. So, like, he was kind of struggling to be Danny Breer that we know him as. Like, he was kind of in and out of right. lineup, talented, but not really found his spot yet. And him and I got linked together. And I was having a tough year. My one year in Arizona, I was, had been injured. And we got played together in a pivotal game. Like, in my career, I was coming off an injury, and, like, things were not looking good. And I got dumped in a game playing with him. And he scored a goal. I picked up a greasy second assist. And like the last 25 games of the season, I had like 20 points because I was playing with him on that game in Detroit. So like him and I were like, we're pretty close. Like he he meant a lot to my career um, on the ice. And then, you know, we were roommates for two or three years off it. So I brushed up on my French and uh, I'm not surprised and happy for him that he's running the show in Philly.
0: Good yeah. stuff. All right. Love Good job, that. Johnny. Thanks. We'll let you go. Have a great rest of your birthday, pal. Thanks, guys. All right. Let's get to Daniel Briere. 973 NHL regular season games, 124 playoff games. But Daniel Breer, if I were to ask you, your points per game in the regular season versus your points per game in the playoffs, any idea how the, what the relationship would be between the two?
3: um not exactly i know it was a little higher in the playoffs i believe Um, a little
0: higher 0.71 points per game in the regular season which is fantastic 0.93 in the playoffs buddy you showed up when it mattered
3: i wish i had a a clear explanation for you why that (laughs) happened i think it was it was just luck um but you know there's nothing like the playoffs. It is the best time of the year. It's still my favorite time of the year. Hopefully we uh, we can get our Flyers back on there soon.
0: So before you we know, get started uh, for I, sorry yeah. Pierre for real. We got we got well we got to carry Johnny's message to him, right? Like Mike Johnson oh, was, right. uh, usually on the podcast with us who just just hopped off. He wants to know if there was a particular roommate of yours who inspired you and gave you the base of knowledge that you needed to one day become a success, successful executive. If there was any particular roommate that helped you with that.
3: Was, was he looking for himself in, uh, in that question? <laughs> oh, <yeah.
0: laughs> Big time.
3: I kind of have the sense that that's what he was looking for. Uh, but he was, a, I'll, I'll give him that much. I loved playing with Mike. Um, it was one of my favorite uh, line mates. He's so creative. Um, you know, Playing with him in, in Phoenix kind of got, uh, got me started. Him and Shane Doan were uh, two of my favorite line mates in Phoenix.
2: You know, I, I go back, Danny, and you and I have talked about this a few times over the years, but this is the time of year right now where every day we're all looking at the waiver report, right? There's some important cuts being made by teams, and it's still unbelievable to me. Not only did you go on waivers back at the start of the 2000-2001 season, but that you went unclaimed, and, and I know you've talked about this, but, you know, if you can remind, especially our younger viewers, what that experience was like and probably what kind of fuel it gave you for the rest of your career. Yeah, it was a wake-up
3: call, definitely for me. I, um, I you know, I, I knew there's a, a chance that the Coyotes would put me on waivers, uh, but in my mind, I, I thought for sure I'd be claimed and I'd have, you know, have to go play somewhere else. Uh, I didn't want to leave at the time, uh, Phoenix, but I, I thought if they put me on waivers, um, someone will give me a shot somewhere else. Um, the next day when I got the call telling me that I, was, I had cleared and I was going to Springfield uh, back to the minors, I, I couldn't believe mm-hmm. it. And it was, it was tough on the ego. You're looking around and you see other, uh, other players, some teammates, some friends, uh, other players that you've played against uh, for a long time uh, being claimed. Um, and you're not. It, it was definitely a wake-up call, and and I remember being being down for probably a day or two, um, and then and then it was time to um, you know pick myself back up and realize that there was something missing in my game. I had it to adjust. I I needed to play harder. Um, definitely had to change something. Um, so so for me, it was probably one of the best thing that happened. Uh, clearing uh, waivers. It, it really forced me to. Look at my game a little deeper and um, evaluate myself better.
2: And, and I thought, as a quick follow sir Ryan, the other thing that I always thought was was great for your career was the opportunity you got to play for Canada at, at a couple of World Championships. I was there covering it at the time for for the Canadian press, and man, you were so dynamic with Danny Heatley in particular at one of those tournaments. But that's you. Kind of never look back after that. That was a big stage for you, and, and I, I feel. Correct me if I'm wrong. That also gave you a lot of confidence for for the rest of your career. You're totally right. You know, it, it kind of made me realize that I
3: could play with some of the best players in the world. Um, you mentioned Danny Heatley. Um, you know, having the chance to be on the line with him and um, able to, uh, you know, con- contribute with him on the top line for Hockey Canada there was was a huge confidence booster. And going, coming back the following year now, I, I felt I saw myself as, you know, kind of different wave. I was I was now a player that uh, was expected to make a difference. That's how I saw myself coming back. But, yeah, those those two years back to back years with Hockey Canada, at the World Championship were, um, you know, something I'm still very proud of. Uh, Have the chance to wear that jersey. But what it did for my career was huge.
0: So you're into the weeds now in your new job. You're right into it. Uh, how would you say you're uh, enjoying the job and are, are there parts of it? And, and listen, you've, you've been around this for a long time, so I'm not going to suggest anything really surprises you. But in terms of your day to day and all of the different things that you're taking on, what are you finding the most engaging and what are you finding the parts of it that you're like, oh boy, this is this is part of the job? <laughs>
3: Well, the hockey talks are the best, um, you know, all day long, we're talking about hockey. We're talking about our players. We're talking about different players. We're talking about different teams, how they're built and, and trying to find out, you know, what, uh, what works, um, you know, the part that is, and I knew that, but the part that is not as much fun, uh, What we're going through right now is, you know, telling players that they're being sent down to the minors or being put on waivers. That's, you know, it's not something that um, nobody really, I think, enjoys doing, but it needs to be done. It's probably the part that, uh, you know, I, I could skip if I if there was a possibility, but it needs to be done.
0: What's your approach to that? How engaged are you in these conversations in your position? And what do you recall about times in your career where you faced those conversations? And what did you take into the way you handle it?
3: Yeah, I, I try to put myself in her in in her shoes uh, when when I call them in, and I try to be very honest with them. You know, some discussions are a little easier than others. There's guys that let's um, say they they've had a great camp, and you know they're knocking on the door and now. They've elevated their stocks. That's an easier decision uh, decision or uh, conversation. Um, the ones that are tougher and and is when guys haven't had a good camp and. Um, you have to tell them Uh, I'd rather be honest and and not lie to them because as a player, that's what I wanted.
2: Um, You talk about baptism by fire. I mean, listen, you, 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 you know, you become flyers GM and you get the green light, correct me if I'm wrong, to really rebuild this team, whatever fashion you see fit. In other words, a real rebuild, um, which was difficult in the cap era. Uh, you made some a couple of significant trades, uh, Danny, in the off season, but certainly not one that wasn't as big, perhaps as as you had tried. I know you got to be careful; you can't mention Tory Krug by name. But what it, what was that like for you to go through that with St. Louis? And again, I know you got to be careful, but you know something looked perhaps to have been done, and and then it didn't happen. Again, this is your your first time as GM in the NHL. What was that like?
3: Yeah, I mean. You know, Doug Armstrong's a real pro. Um, I've had a lot of talks about a lot of different topics. He's, he's been super helpful um, as far as uh, guiding me and, and helping me um, you know, navigate through, through this, this world that, that we're, we're in now. Um, it, it's been a blast. Uh, that's, that's probably what I take. Um, you know, I, one thing that I've, I've been amazed is how helpful all of these guys are. Um, you know, and I've had a few comments from other GMs that, look, there's only 32 of us. Um, so we try to help each other. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And, you know, that's that's not something I expected. I expected the guys to come in and, and all be against each other. And and obviously we, we all want to win. We all we're all super ultra competitive. Uh, but I, I was amazed uh, by by how helpful, um, you know, all the guys are with with each other. That's uh, that's something that I um, I didn't expect, I guess, coming in. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. You don't think it's kind of like with a wink and a smile, and here you go, take my boat <laughs> anchor?
3: <laughs> Maybe a little bit, and, and I you know, I got to be careful, but yeah. least, so far, the guys have been awesome.
0: That's interesting. What's the proper message for your group this season and heading into it? How do you keep expectations as high as they need to be with a coach like you have, but also the very clear picture of what the organization is going through right now. How do you, yeah. in your position, set that proper tone and what is it?
3: Yeah, well, look, we want to win. We want to win every single game. Um, and I, I was very clear um, with the players on that and the coaching staff that we're not tanking. We're, we want to win as many games as, as we can. At the same time, we're going to be smart. Um, we're, we're going to do what's best for the organization, not just for the next you know, week or month. Uh, or even year, but we're also looking ahead at, you know, three, five, seven years down the road. Uh, We're going to make decisions that, um, you know, are going to keep that in in consideration. So uh, we want to win. We have a coach, like you mentioned, that is going to get the most out of his players, and he's instructed to do so. Um, You know, and uh, at the second floor, on on our end, it's going to be important to make, you know, decisions that affects the long term of this organization. That's kind of what we're trying to do.
2: Danny, I'm headed to the Board of Governors meeting tomorrow in New York, and I'm hoping when we're there that we'll get an update uh, on the NHL's investigation with the 2018 Canadian World Junior Team. Uh, you know, what is that, you know, and obviously Carter Hart, part of that team in 2018. What's that like for you as a GM of a team that has a player from that team in terms of planning and in terms of the information that you have moving forward here right now? Yeah, we we don't know much. We're at the
3: mercy. The, the NHL is conducting their investigation. They told us they would get back to us. Um, at this point, we don't know anything. I don't know anything. Um, you know, so we're moving ahead as, as as status quo for now, and and they'll tell us when it's time when when they have more to share with us.
0: Want to ask you about your head coach, John Tortorella? I mean. Old school, I think is a fair way to say it, but that doesn't necessarily always work in the league anymore and people have to evolve and we've seen that. So describe how John Tortorella has fit in the new world with, you know, the old school mentality and the ways, you know, you have confidence that he can still relate to these young players and bring these guys along in the new way, but applying some of those more old school uh, ideals and principles that he has. That's I imagine it's a tough balance for guys.
3: Yeah, one thing I can tell you is the perception of John Tortorella uh, out there in the media is not the same as what we're dealing with on a daily basis.
0: You're not the uh, one having to ask him questions that's why no, that's exactly <laughs> that's
3: exactly right. Um, you know and I'm, I, I understand that but the way the way he interacts with the people that he works with is, is amazing. I, um, you know he's, he's blown us all the way how he treats people. Um, as far as his players, he has a knack to let them know. Um, that he cares about them. And and it's not, it's not fake. It's, it's genuine. He really loves his players. He really cares about his players. He's just demanding a stuff on them because he knows what he can get out of them. Uh, But I think more and more of the players are understanding uh, that, that part of him, that they, they know he's stuff on them, but there's a reason for that and that he really cares. And that's, that's really what has surprised me with, with John. It's, it's, the way he's able to connect with with the players, and um, no, it's uh, it's a special special bond that he has for them. Even though on the outside we think that all the players hate him, uh, it's really not the case. Uh,
2: last question from me, and thanks for not giving me a hard time about wearing a, a Dallas Cowboy sweater when you're a GM. Well, that's why GM you're blacked out. North I can't there. see you. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: uh he signals bad. He can't see you right now, Pierre. But no, Daniel, yeah He's had that thing on all morning, wearing it with pride, <laughs> big crap eating grin on his face.
2: I, I um, feel bad for him. Uh, oh, come on! But, no. Anyway, but it's okay. Um, it's okay. You know, one thing for for people listening here and watching that uh, may not realize—obviously, Flyers fans know your story inside out—but. You know, when people see a former star player become a GM, you know, sometimes it happens quick. You you really worked your way to this. And I, I think of the couple of years where you're running the ECHL team for, for the organization. I mean, how instrumental was it having that sort of ground grassroots experience in terms of being an executive before you even got into conversation for this kind of job? Yeah, well... You know, I, I had heard the comments, you know, there's there's
3: a lot of players that are hanging around when they're done and they expect to have jobs and they don't really want to work at it. Um, you know, it was really important uh, for me to, to show people that, um, I, I wanted to stay in hockey and I was willing to work. And when the organization approached me about running um, our, our minor league or ECHL franchise, I, w- I was excited. It gave me the chance to to learn. And, you know, you don't have as many resources. Um, I have tremendous respect now after spending uh, <laughs> close to five years in the ECHL Um you know, about the franchises, about the, the coaches and the, and the players that play in that league. Um, you know, I, I was able to learn a, a lot. Um, and and again, moving forward, you know, coaches that have been players that have played in the ECHL, um, I know they did it with passion, um, you know, and, and they've learned a lot. So, um, you know, for me, it was more about showing that um, I was willing to put in the work.
0: One more meat and potatoes question for me and then we'll grab a got your back story from you, uh, Danny. You got two first round picks coming up this season or at the end of this season. And I wonder what your plan is this year. How much time will you spend on the road scouting yourself uh, to try and take the most advantage that you can of these, these two first round picks? So will you be pretty pretty proactive on the scouting front this year or are you a guy that will let his staff handle the majority of that?
3: Yeah, well, I'm I'm very fortunate. I, I we have a great staff, amateur staff that, that travels, um, but I, I also plan on, on seeing you know some of the top prospects. I've done that. It's it's actually one of the part of my job that I enjoy the most. Um, the last few years, I spent a lot of days on the road, junior ranks, college ranks, uh, traveled to Europe for uh, U18 tournaments. That was probably the favorite part of my job. So I uh, I plan on. on Maybe not having as much time to do it, but on, on keeping up with that.
0: And what's the early returns on Miechkoff, uh, who fell to you at number seven, has moved to Sochi on loan and has 10 points in eight games after a slower start in St. Petersburg. How's the early look here?
3: We were, uh, we were just watching his game yesterday. Had a big game. He had the, a goal and two assists. Uh, one of the things that's been impressive with him is he seems to score big goals. Uh, again, yesterday, a go-ahead goal, the night uh, two games ago, he scored a goal with a minute left to uh, to clinch. there was a game-winner also. So that's what I've been impressed with him. It's, uh, it's been fun to watch. Now, obviously, we know we have to be patient patience. Uh, with him. But, <laughs> that's the uh, big word,
0: hey, patience. Yeah, yeah.
3: But uh, we're, we, we knew that going in. Uh, that's not going to change, uh, but we're definitely excited. We can't wait to have him here.
0: All right, great stuff. All right, podcast is called Got Your Back. We love to get... That story from everybody about the time in their life where somebody stepped up for them, where somebody had your back. So who had Danny Breher's back?
3: Well, you know, I was just thinking there's there's a lot of teammates that have had my back over the years, um, defending me, protecting me. I've been very fortunate. Um, but now I think I, I'd have to say at this moment, uh, Key Jones lately has had my back. Uh, many appearances that we've had to do we were able to share so having him around uh, taking some of the load off has has been tremendous so I'd have to give him a shout out for that
0: yeah he's like the most cheery upbeat pleasant person I, I don't know if I've ever been around anybody more cheery and upbeat than him but when you're really grinding behind the scenes and it's getting real is there another side to him that we don't see or is he like that all the time no matter what
3: uh, he has a way to lighten the load but uh, he's smart and he sees it um it's been a blast having him around and working with him um i i only have good things to say so far it's uh, you know it, the people you work with if you have a good time and you have fun and uh, it makes it a lot a lot easier well he, he brings the fun every single day
2: i i don't know how you get a word in with uh, jonesy uh danny but uh good luck with that I'm I'm a good listener. That's good. That's okay.
0: (laughs) Really appreciate your time, Danny. Good luck this season. Thanks, guys. And a big thanks again to Daniel Briere for joining us today. Before we wrap the podcast, uh, we just wanted to send our thoughts, our prayers, and our condolences to Kelsey Snow and the entire Snow family. We all watched Chris's incredibly courageous battle with ALS. Absolutely inspiring. Uh, They took us on that difficult journey with them, Kelsey, with her social media posts and all the effort that they made to try and raise awareness and raise money for the cause. Um, It was truly moving. And uh, we send our thoughts, our prayers, and our condolences to Kelsey and the entire Snow family, as well as the Flames organization. That'll wrap the podcast. A big thanks for joining us this week. Thanks for your downloads and for your subscriptions. Look forward to talking again next week. Have a great day.